When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, fellow flyers. Welcome to episode two of the Plane Crash Podcast. This is your captain of the podcast, Michael Bauer. I hope you all had a great week, maybe enjoyed a couple safe flights to some desirable destinations across the world, or maybe you just stayed in town and got some quality work done. We here at the Plane Crash Podcast every week feature a different plane incident, and we don't mean to glorify anyone else's misfortune. We're just genuinely interested in the circumstances in which these planes crashed, and we like to discuss the details, um, analyze you know, what possibly could have gone wrong, um, what we could do in the future to make air travel safer. It's a way to hope that we're not making light of anyone else's misfortune. I hope you all enjoyed our first episode last week that was on Air France Flight 447. Today we are going to take an in-depth look at a more recent plane incident, Lion Air Flight 610. But before we get into that, I'd like to welcome once again a few guests to the podcast. Today we are joined by the same solid crew from last week's episode. We have Grammy Award-winning producer, engineer, musician, an intelligent, kind, and generous man, Sheldon Gomberg. I like how I got moved up to the first slot this week. I, I must have done much better than our other guests. I think after analyzing the last episode, I was like, Sheldon is actually like the meat and potatoes of the podcast. We better introduce him He's first. So that's why I did it. He's headlining. Next You're headlining week. today. Sheldon Gomberg's headlining the episode today. Good morning and thank you for having the, me. The uh, opener is uh, another good friend of mine. He's a comedian. He has a popular podcast, a comedy podcast called Incompatible with Cat and Michael. It's very funny. He's a comedian, he's a musician, a former bandmate, a good human being, Michael Rogelio. Say hello to the people, Michael Rogelio. Hello to the people. Thank you for having me. Um, what was the last flight you were on, Mr. Rogelio? Uh, I flew to my brother's in Oakland from Los Angeles for Christmas, and uh, due to, I don't know, I just booked it on uh, cheapoair.com, but I ended up on JetSuite X, which is a West Coast airline, which is darn comparable to a private jet it was really nice it was that sounds really pretty sweet. sweet yeah i enjoyed it very much did you get yourself a nice coffee drink uh no but i did get myself a nice alcoholic drink you deserve it pal thanks makes the flying experience all the better well today we will be discussing the events surrounding flight lion air 610 lion air flight 610 was a domestic flight it took off on October 29th, 2018, with a scheduled flight path from Jakarta, Indonesia to Pankal, Penang. There were two pilots, six flight attendants for a total crew of eight, 181 passengers for a total of 189 human beings on board. 
The plane was a Boeing 737 MAX 8. The Boeing 737 MAX 8 is a new plane offered by Boeing. It was first introduced to the marketplace and first flown commercially in May 2017. This specific plane flown by Lion Air was delivered to Lion Air by Boeing on August 13, 2018. Lion Air Flight 610 was a flight that took off on October 29, 2018, so the plane was roughly two and a half months old. It was basically a brand new plane. Now, our flight had two pilots. The first pilot was named Bavye Suneja. He was a citizen of India. He was 31 years old. A commercial air pilot, recently married, estimated to have around 6,000 flight hours of experience. His co-pilot, Harvino, was a citizen of Indonesia, and he had an estimated 5,000 hours. So the plane takes off at 6.20 a.m. local time from Sakarno Hana International Airport for an estimated flight time of one hour to Pankal Penang. Now it's important to point out that the final report on this accident has not yet been released. The Indonesian government has released data from the plane's flight recorder, which has spawned a lot of theories about what might have happened. It wasn't until just recently, on January 14th, uh, 2019, just a few weeks ago, that the cockpit voice recorder was found on the ocean floor, and that recording has yet to be released to the public. It won't be released until the final report is complete. The CVR will obviously shed some light on the decisions that were made in the cockpit, we'll understand what the pilots were trying to communicate with one another, but for right now we have the flight data recorder, which gives us some insight to what may have happened. So shortly after takeoff on the morning of October 29th, the control column or the yoke that's located between the legs of both pilots starts shaking, which is an indicator that the plane's sensors think the plane is about to stall. At around 2,000 feet, the plane suddenly drops 700 feet to 1,300 feet. Then the flight rises to 5,000 feet, where over the next six to seven minutes, the flight keeps shifting in altitude, goes up a couple hundred feet, and then it plummets goes up uh, another couple hundred feet, and then it drops. The pilots make over 30 manual adjustments trying to climb the plane, and seconds after each adjustment they make, the plane falls in altitude. It looks as though the pilots are battling something because the altitude of the plane is so erratic. The pilots ask air traffic control for help because two sensors on the plane are giving them differing information, and they request a return to the airport. One of the pilots states that all the aircraft's instruments were indicating different values and they request to return to the airport because of bad weather, which has struck people as kind of strange given the fact that the elephant in the room is that this plane is fluctuating in altitude all the time. doesn't seem like there's bad weather issues. So clearly something's wrong with the plane. The plane's not operating correctly. After six to seven minutes of shifting in altitude around 5,000 feet, the plane suddenly plummets into a dive and hits the ocean surface of the Java Sea at 450 miles an hour. A couple kilometers from an oil platform where workers noticed the plane fall from the sky in a dive. All 189 on board were instantly killed and the flight lasted a total of 13 minutes. So. Um, 13 is an unlucky number. uh, Well, that flight was a short one, it was only 13 minutes. And now we have that information, we have to ask ourselves what exactly happened. We don't know why this happened officially yet, because the final report is in the process of being written, but we can kind of put together a good explanation given the flight data, and the most likely explanation is that it occurred because of a new anti-stall system called MCAS, or Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, that was installed on this new Boeing 737 MAX 8. As we learned last episode, 
stalls are dangerous to air travel. And with each plane accident, the world of commercial aviation tries to learn more about how to prevent future accidents. So this MCAS system is a new system designed to prevent stalls from occurring. The stall is when a plane climbs altitude at too great of an angle of attack, and thus it loses its aerodynamic lift. It loses speed, falls out of the sky because it's no longer flying through the air. How do you prevent a stall when you're on the verge of entering one? You decrease your angle of attack by pushing the nose of the plane down. So we learned last week that if you're in a stall, the way to get out of that stall is you push down like a bird that's in a tree, and you swoop down, gain speed, and go back up into the air. Well, this uh, system is designed to stop you when you're on the verge of a stall. So it just kind of nudges your the nose of the plane down a little bit, and that prevents the stall from ever happening. So we look at this information about the plane's fluctuating altitude, and the main hypothesis today is that either the computer or the angle of attack sensors, which are like tiny little weather vanes on the nose of the plane, weren't working properly. One article I read stated that the two angle of attack sensors on the outside of the plane were 20 degrees apart in their readings. So the plane takes off, and almost immediately the yoke starts shaking, shaking between the pilot's legs, saying the plane's about to stall when it's not about to stall. So this MCAS system, or anti-stalling system, kicks in and automatically pushes the nose of the plane down. The pilots were probably like, whoa, like what's going on? Something keeps pushing the plane into a dive. So they pull on their control column in front of them, their yoke, uh, to climb the plane. And over and over again, this automatic anti-stalling system is getting information saying the plane is stalling and pushes the nose of the plane down. This is a theory that would align with the data from the flight recorder and would explain why the altitude kept shifting up and down. In the tail wing of the plane is the stabilizer. This is generally operated electrically, and this is how you control whether the nose of the plane is pointed up to climb or down to descend. The anti-stalling system keeps automatically changing the stabilizer to push the nose of the plane down because it thinks the plane is stalling based upon erroneous information it's getting. On the yoke of the plane is an electric stabilizer trim switch in which the pilot can override this anti-stalling system. If the pilot uses this little trim switch on his yoke, it deactivates this anti-stalling system for a few seconds. When I was reading about it, I thought a good analogy would be to say it's kind of like cruise control in your car. If you are on the highway and you're going 60 miles an hour, you can set your cruise control and you just keep on going at 60 miles an hour and if you want to hit cancel suddenly it's back to manual acceleration you have control over this well this is like that cruise control except this um the mcas system on this plane kicks on after a couple seconds so it's almost like you can click it off and you can make choices for a few seconds but all of a sudden it kicks back on and starts pushing the nose of the plane down so people that have analyzed this information have guessed that the pilot doesn't understand what's going on completely. He keeps on using this little trim switch on the yoke of the plane to cancel out the orders from this anti-stalling system, and then he climbs the plane a little bit, and then the anti-stalling system kicks back in, pushes the nose down, and the pilot cancels that command, and then the anti-stalling system kicks in again. Um, overall, the anti-stalling system kicked back on 20 times. It's almost as if the pilot is just battling this anti-stalling system that's getting bad information for six or seven minutes of the flight until finally the anti-stalling system wins out and sends the plane into a nosedive into the ocean. If I could just interject for a yeah. second. I just I find it crazy that there's not also – there's an altimeter, or is that the right word, on, on a plane that tells you the height. That, the altitude, yeah. Yeah, that, that the plane – 
that somebody didn't program into it, uh, yes, put the nose down when you're going into a stall, but also don't fly it into the ground. Yeah. Like, why isn't that programmed into it as well? I think that it's getting really bad strange. information. That's the, but that's the, kind of the whole point is that this system um, is getting bad information. It's reacting to not reality. It's, but a plane always knows what its height is, right? So it knows where yeah. the ground is. So it just seems crazy to me that it would keep pushing the nose down even in the face of totally. putting it into it's the ocean. It's a good ocean. point that I haven't it thought about. It seems like something that you would be easy to program. I don't know anything about programming. I think but. you brought up a good point that I haven't really thought about Um that I think that would be if if the plane receives an order saying, "Hey, drive this plane into the ground." Maybe the automation should know shouldn't do that. Be a little more intuitive. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. I mentioned last episode, and I'll mention again this episode that what we do here is kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking. These guys were in a stressful situation in a new plane that had new systems that they might not have been fully aware of, but analysts said they could have used this little toggle switch on their yoke to disengage the anti-stalling system, which they did, and then flipped two switches on the center console to cut electricity to the stabilizer, and this would have killed the electrical connection that the anti-stalling system had to the stabilizer. On the rest of the flight, they could have controlled the stabilizer manually with a stabilizer trim wheel. That trim wheel is situated right next to your knee um, at the co-pilot seat. Another thing I learned is that in the past, older Boeing 737 planes would allow you to cancel out runaway stabilizer trim. This is kind of what runaway stabilizer trim is. Or the nose of the plane being pushed down by pulling back on the yoke or the control column. This new Boeing plane design was different. Pulling back on the control column of these new Max 8 planes won't cancel out runaway stabilizer trim if the anti-stalling system is already activated. The flight information for Line Flight 610 indicates that both pilots were pulling back on their control columns with great force as the plane went into its final dive. To me, this indicates that they weren't up to date on the plane's systems and they were reverting back to what they were used to flying. Um, I think they they thought, oh, in the past, if I have this issue, all I have to do is grab this yoke and pull it towards my chest and it'll cancel out whatever's going on. That or they did get an update on this new system and in the heat of the moment, they just reverted to old training or forgot their new training. The flight previous to this particular flight, the same plane, but the previous flight this plane made late the night before had a very similar issue. The plane was going from Bali to Jakarta the night before, and the captain of the flight called in a pan-pan, which is one step below a mayday call. He requested to return to the airport in Bali, but then radioed that he'd overcome the plane's issues and continued on to Jakarta. Passengers of the penultimate flight complained that the plane dropped in altitude several times. They said the ride was like a roller coaster, and the captain recorded that his and his co-pilot's instruments were getting different readings, again, 20 degrees apart in their angle of attack readings. Airspeed readings were also noted as unreliable, and the plane had an 850-foot drop in the first five minutes of the flight. An air sensor had been replaced in Bali, but the plane continued to have misreadings. So this plane had a history of issues, previous flight, very similar issues to the problems that 610 eventually has. Lastly, I think a little history of the Boeing 737 MAX 8's development I found interesting. Um, Boeing's main competitor is the European airline manufacturer Airbus. Boeing has always had as its cash cow the 737. That's how they make their money. Airbus has the 320. That's its biggest plane. 
In 2010, Airbus decides to shake up the airline manufacturing game by developing an upgraded version of this Airbus 320. It's called the Airbus 320neo. The plane is marketed to airlines as an upgrade from the 320. The Airbus 320neo saves 15% on fuel costs. It's more fuel efficient. Nine more passengers can fit on that plane. So the plane requires less fuel and accommodates a few more passengers. That translates to more money for airlines. So American Airlines, an American company, an American airline, buys 100 of these Airbus 320neos from a European company. And you got to imagine the executives at Boeing are like, the fuck? We need something to compete with this Airbus. So Boeing decides we need our own upgrade. We need something we can sell to people to compete with this new Airbus because they're selling uh, airplanes to American companies. Suddenly, they're taking over business in our own backyard. But Boeing wants a product that they can sell to airlines as an upgrade from the old 737. But they don't want to design a completely new plane that will require pilots to receive a ton of new and costly training because that cost would be a downside to airlines thinking about purchasing the new upgraded 737. More training of pilots equals more expenses in the eyes of airlines. Boeing wants a new plane that current 737 pilots can just hop in and fly, so they don't want to change too much about the plane. They have to walk a tightrope of upgrading the plane to the point that they can sell these new features, but not changing the plane to the point that the pilots need retraining. They also don't want to change the plane that much because they don't want the FAA to mandate new pilot training. They want the FAA to check out the new plane and look at it and be like, hey, it's basically the old 737, no need for new training. So the main focus for Boeing with their new plane is to develop a plane with larger and more fuel-efficient engines. This new plane is 14.5% more fuel-efficient because of the upgraded engines and the new split-tip winglet design, but the engines are larger. So they need to be moved closer to the nose of the plane so they can clear the ground. Early testing showed this made the plane's nose more likely to pitch up at lower speeds or more prone to a stall. So they counteract this by adding MCAS, or the anti-stalling system, to the new plane. This new plane becomes the Boeing 737 MAX 8, which is the type of plane Lion Air Flight 610 was. So now there's this discussion, after, as we have after every plane incident, is there anyone to blame for this? Did Boeing add these new features to their plane and fail to highlight these changes because it would have been a tougher sell to airlines. They would have to say, yes, buy this new plane, but there will be some cost of training associated with this new plane. Boeing would probably respond, hey, runaway stabilizer trim is something that happens on our old 737s too. These pilots should have known, simply cut electricity of the stabilizer. We can't be responsible for every pilot that doesn't follow standard procedures for that kind of issue. So uh, they would also say, we make the plane. We give you a manual that has the instructions for the plane. It's up to airlines to train their pilots, right? So what do you guys think? I have a number of questions. Uh, my first one is, it se- something seemed awfully counterintuitive to me, which is you said that the larger engines were moved closer to the nose, which mm-hmm. made it more likely to pitch up. Yeah. It would seem like it would be more I think likely they to moved make it, it pitch down. Um, I don't know. That's what I read was that it was more likely, especially at lower speeds. It said at lower speeds, it made the plane pitch up. So that when you pitch up is when you stall. It just seems like so. putting weight closer to the, the front of the plane would make it, make it pitch down. Yeah, that's it's where just, the power just, is. The power yeah. of the plane's at uh, the front of the plane now, and then suddenly it pitches up. Mm. So they, that was a... Uh, 
It's interesting. I feel like the Boeing aspect of this story is engaging. It's yeah. interesting. Well, that- I mean, that's what was going to be my next point. But uh, before I make that point, I would just want to point out that it, I couldn't help but wonder as you're telling that. I wonder how many flights I've been on where the pilot called in a pan pan and then canceled it. Like, mm-hmm. that just seems so scary. But I think passengers are, are oblivious. They have no idea that the pilot's no. like, we're totally screwed. We're turning around. Never mind. Never. It's fine. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I guess he was up there. And I imagine, I don't know, I didn't read conclusively, but I imagine the pilots of that penultimate flight just flipped off the electricity to the stabilizer. And they're like, oh, yeah. plane's fine. It's fine now. We, yeah, we could come back and land. Another thing is I think both flights were relatively short. Yeah. And, then, so, and that's another point, though. That's absolutely insane that the night before there were these issues and the following day there were the same issues that brought the that that ended up with the plane in the ocean yeah like i feel like if i was running this show if i was flying a a plane and that plane had issues there should be like an issue log so if i get on this plane i could be like oh you know this plane recently had this issue well maybe i should be expecting that it might have this issue again i'll be ready for that one yeah and there should be two columns issue check resolved check i think i don't fly until that second check is there they he got off the plane and maybe you know he was like oh we had an issue with the angle of attack sensors they were off by 20 degrees they they replaced them they replaced them actually in bali and i think they replaced them again in jakarta so that says to me that it isn't these angle of attack sensors. I mean, if you, how many broken ones are there out there? I would hope that if this is something that we rely on, that they're made in a quality way. It says to me that maybe there's an issue with the computer, that the computer is distorting the information to some degree. You know, and then obviously the big point is Boeing. Uh, so Boeing wanted to design a plane and they wanted to make it in such a way that they wouldn't have to retrain the pilots because of cost. So... So again, a major corporation cutting costs without taking into consideration the the, the risks, and we ended up with people uh, crashing a plane into the ocean as a result. Yeah. It seems I don't I just it 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 hits me weird. I I don't like the sound of it. It's it's it sounds like another corporation taking the bottom line, the dollar sign, mm-hmm. as as the ultimate goal safety and costs, not taking yeah. safety. I into guess to them, like training and safety costs money, and to them they thought. I guess they just didn't see this. Obviously, I don't think anyone at Boeing was like, you know what we want to do? What's really going to be great for our brand new rollout of this plane is to have a crash right at the beginning. I don't think anybody – this system was designed to prevent crashes. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's it's a shame. Um, I'm sure it's been horrible for everyone involved, horrible for the families involved. Horrible for Boeing. I'm sure it's not like a. I'm sure the 737 Max 8. People are probably aren't beating down the door to have one that had a issue. You know, it's yeah. it doesn't have a long history. But to them, they were probably like, you know, we need this new system. We had to move the uh, engines up towards the nose. It's going to cause a little stalling. Why don't we add a new feature? It wasn't that they're like let's add this MCAS. This will actually help you out. Yeah. The one thing that would just been nice is that they had a gigantic button somewhere in the cockpit that if you have an issue with autopilot boom you hit this not i mean in when stuff's happening when i'm stressed out my brain doesn't work completely as well as if i'm you know relaxing having a green tea at home so these guys are put in a situation where suddenly we drop 700 feet and they're probably stressed out maybe they were trained on this and just didn't uh, know what to do panicked in the moment um it seems like definitely no one's winning in this situation. It it, it would seem to me that the um, the what's it called the Mac 
the Max 8. Max. Or the MCAS? Yeah, MCAS. So that seems like it was designed to counteract a problem that was there from bank having bigger engines moving them forward. Yeah. So it was like, well, they wanted okay. the plane to fly like the old 737. I think they they had to wa- walk this tightrope of hey, we need a new plane that's it's like a cell phone almost. Like we we slightly upgraded everything. Everybody that's had the previous iPhone will know how to operate this new iPhone, but you know, it's got a little better camera. It's got these features that's going to make you spend money. You can get more people on the plane. You can save money on fuel costs so buy this. Another added feature is your existing pilot force can just hop into the cockpit and fly it. They don't need extensive, costly training. So uh, I think this is obviously something that was overlooked, though. I think if Boeing might not admit to this, but it seems like if I bet if they had a you know time machine, they'd probably like to put out a huge red bulletin to everyone that bought a Max 8 saying, there's something called MCAS on here. If you have an issue and you pull back on your control column, you know how in the old one it used to cancel out runaway stabilizer trim? Not going to happen on this one. What you need to do is kill the electricity. So. Yeah. It makes me wonder if uh, there is, isn't some design for a wonderful new plane that's just being held back because of all the costs that would be involved, particularly training costs. Yeah. I guess, I mean, all companies aren't going to put out a product that they don't think that they can make a profit on. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Then on a complete side note, so you say that the Airbus was the Neo. Mm -hmm. um, It was the Keanu version. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously Boeing should have put out the Morpheus. And then uh, all us nerds, take the red Who trained Neo? Morpheus. Yeah. Yeah. Take the red pill, (laughs) Boeing. Well... More information will be released on this flight. We'll learn more, and we may have to do another episode to kind of update everyone. I was wondering if either of you have any anything that happens when you're flying, anything that happens in the airport, anything associated with air travel that you consider kind of like a pet peeve. Uh, well, I mean, this is a total, this is just me, and I know it's just me, but when the plane lands and they put up the the flaps or whatever and whatnot uh, as a musician with sensitive ears. That's very loud. <laughs> I have to plug my ears every time. I'm like, geez Louise, that's, that's something terribly loud. Interesting about the new 737 MAX 8 is that it's supposedly much more quieter. Oh, so, wow. So you might like that. Yeah, I might like that a lot, yeah. Also, the air purification systems supposedly work well. So oh, I like the sound of that, too. a little uh, flatulence problem that's... Quickly whisked away. Is that really? Is that one of the <laughs> selling points? Up. Yeah. No, I, I imagine that they were like the seven thirty seven because your farts won't smell. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as a musician, uh, I've told you this before that uh, I've noticed that if you put uh, fragile or handle with care on your guitar case, and I had one instance where I had a window seat and I could see the guy loading the bags, and he was being very gentle with all the bags. He got to my guitar. I watched him read fragile handle with care to which he then chucked my guitar into the baggage <laughs> claim as hard as he could so he's like i'll be damned yeah, yeah, if someone's going to communicate yeah. to me some, with some stupid some sign giving me instructions <laughs> oh i'll handle it with care all right so just note to, to people just don't 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 bother maybe you should have a fragile sign case. and you could uh like have a pen and be like if you're handling this bag put your venmo name and i will be sure to send you five dollars i have a friend who uh goes when he flies on airlines he brings his acoustic guitar he doesn't put it in a case and he just checks it lets them take it says do the best you can i mean you would expect that to come back just like in pieces matchsticks and it's 
does fine. Just fine. Maybe because that's just like announcing to everybody exactly what it is. And they're like, oh my God, I, if I have no choice but to, uh, you know, take care of this. That's an interesting mm-hmm. thing. I would I would expect that to be destroyed. Anyway, I have a couple pet peeves. Do you want to hear them? Yes. Uh, first pet peeve. I It really annoys me for some reason when, you know, plane pulls up to the gate, stops, you hear the little ding. Everybody stands up. Everybody wants to stand up because you've been sitting down for a long time. But there's always somebody from the back of the plane that, like, rushes ahead. I can understand it maybe if you have, like, a connecting flight and you're running late or something. But often I feel like that's not the case. I just wish, you know, everyone would follow Row one, get your bags, exit the plane. Row two, get your bags, exit the plane. Row three, just go in an orderly fashion. If there's, you know, a child or someone that seems like they need help with their bag, help them out. You know, this is a time to be considerate. And it, uh, I don't know why, but it always grates on my nerves to uh, see people not adhere to the row one, row two, row three protocol. I made that up. Maybe that's not the... Maybe no one's supposed to do that. I don't know. Well, they should identify that as the protocol. Clearly, it's the protocol. The the plates, the the the, the rows nearest to the door should get up and go out first. Yeah, but, and there's yeah. always like somebody pushing by. There's always, and all they do, they don't get off the plane. They just congest the middle of the yeah. plane. That's I'm always the cool guy just sitting in my seat going, that's fine. Go ahead. I'll just sit here. I'm not dealing with this melee. Not interested. <laughs> yeah. Too lazy. Not yeah, what do you, you save like 30 seconds? Yeah. You could just relax. I just Close sit there, eyes. look at porn on my phone, and just, you As know. any good passenger would. As any good passenger would. Pet peeve number two, I would say, is bringing smelly food on the plane. You know, I understand, you know, price of food in airports is expensive, but we're all trapped in this metal cylindrical container with you. Maybe that's a good time to bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, not the chow mein. Well, peanut, butter, peanut butter stinks, too. I can deal with peanut butter. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm more uh, adverse to people bringing their smelly friends on the plane and their uh. smelly family members. Smelly people <laughs> are far worse than smelly food any day of the week because the smelly food they eat and it's done and they throw it away, but the smelly person just gets worse and worse. Well, maybe if you just stick to these new planes, worse. the air purification will be. I love better. the sound of the air pur- purification. Bring it. The last uh, pet peeve I have are people that like put up a big fuss when a baby or kids come on the plane. You always see somebody be like, oh, God, oh, great, there's kids here. It's like, dude, you have headphones. You don't even own that baby. Like, you don't have to deal with that baby 24-7. The parents have, like, a lot rougher situation than you. All you have to do is put in some headphones, listen to some Bach, some Mozart, Van Halen, whatever's your thing, and chill out. Like, you were a baby once. You moaned and you cried and we all put up with you. And now you're an adult and you somehow have no patience for babies. That's that's the end of my pet peeve segment. Um, thanks for bearing with me on that. How about you, Shelley? No pet peeves? No pet peeves. Well, I'd like to close the episode. Uh, I will say that I've often thought that it'd be funny to name a pet peeve. This is my pet peeve. Yeah. I love him, actually. That'd be great. <laughs> Not the worst name either. I think it's, it's great. kind of a nice name. Here, peeve. Here, peeve. Okay. He's my pet. He's my pet peeve. Uh, we're going to close today's episode with a story that Tess Andrade, our producer, brought to my attention. Uh, a viral video hit the internet this past week. Lion Air Flight 293, February 14th, from Pekinbaru to Jakarta. A 12-inch scorpion was a stowaway in the overhead bin just above row 19. He did not pay for his flight. A 12-inch scorpion is rather large. It's uh, bigger than a hand. 
Rumor has it his home is located in Pekin Barrio, and he was visiting family in Jakarta. Did you say that was Lion Air? That was Lion Air as well. Oh, we should fly them. Clearly, they have plenty of leg room, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, there you go. He seems like a reasonable scorpion to me. You know, he like thought to himself, you know, I didn't pay for this ticket. He, you know, enters of the plane. He's like, I'm not going to hang out in first class. I don't, I don't belong here. I'll take my arachnid self back to economy, set up shop in row 19. I hear he even didn't show himself until the end of the plane ride. So it's nice to hear of a scorpion that will, you know, put in the effort to stay in touch with family because at the end of the day, family is what's most important. On that note, thanks for hanging out with us again on the Plane Crash Podcast. I'm Michael Bauer. I'd like to thank Sheldon Gomberg. I'd like to thank Michael Rogelio. He has a podcast, Incompatible with Cat and Michael. You guys should check it out. I'd like to thank Tess Andrade for being producer, doing great work, researching things. Um, If you're a fan of the podcast, go on iTunes, subscribe to us, review. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean. And I hope you all have a good week. I hope you all be positive, work hard. Keep striving to be the best version of yourself. Until next time, fellow flyers, thanks for listening. Bye bye.